engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for a limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. Welcome back to Cutting the Distance. Today, my guest is from the big city of Weipe, Idaho. One of my good buddies, Phelps Game Calls marketing director and all-around face of the company, The Bugler, also known as Dirk Durham. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. We are, what, five days away from September? Six days? Yeah, yeah. It, it is Six close. Six days, five days. It's, it's I, I, I kind of quit counting at this point. It's, it, everything's a blur. I wake up disoriented and discombobulated and trying to figure out, ah, is this today the day? Oh, good. I, I got more time to pack. <laughs> yeah, we're getting close. So just like uh, any other Cutting the Distance episode, we're going to take a few questions from the listeners. If you have any questions of your own, Make sure to reach out to us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com. Um, so we're going to jump into the first user question or user question, listener question. How long will you work a bull before changing tactics? Um, I think it's kind of different on every single one of them. Um, I get this gut feeling and I think the gut feeling I have is just, from lots of reps in the elk woods. So for new hunters, you know, it, it's kind of hard to know and hard to gauge that. But but usually um, as I'm working in bull, if things aren't happening and I, I need to move up and need to get closer, then some, something inside me says, let's go. But um, if, if you want to break that down a little bit and evaluate it, I would say when things start slowing down, let's say you've been calling to this bull and things are escalating good. He's getting war- He's getting wound up. He's coming closer and then things kind of slow down and he quits calling so much, you know, maybe the frequency of his calling or maybe the intensity of his calls just, you know, have sl- has 
he's taking it down a notch. Like he's he's starting to second guess maybe his ability to fight um, or steal the ladies from you, if you will. Um, and it's usually at that time I'm going to switch things up, change things up. Um, a lot of times I'll just, if, if things start slowing down and he's kind of, uh, locked up and if he's not too, you know, if, with, if he's still a hundred, 200 yards out, um, I'm moving, I'm on the move. Right. Um, I'm going to move quickly. I'm, I'm at that point, I'm not probably going to try to be really quiet. I want him to hear me coming. I want him to hear hear me pop and brush. I want him to think, oh, that bull is coming in. And sometimes just breaking that, um, you know, walking 50 yards, breaking a lot of brush, that, that'll get, that'll pique his interest again. And that'll kind of kick things up. Um, maybe not. Maybe I'll have to almost get right on top of that, that bull before, you know, he, he gets, gets going again. It's kind of yeah, a fine I'm- line. It, if, if you get too aggressive and I, this has happened before too, <clears throat> sometimes they, they clam up and then they're just on a, they're on a mission. They're coming right to you. And by being too aggressive, I've, I've been caught with my pants down. You know, I, I think, Oh, I need to move up. And I, I walk about 50 yards and there he is standing there looking at me. So it, it is a, a, a fine line. You got to walk. But I guess it's back to that gut feeling. Like after you've done it a, enough times, you start having these little gut feelings, feelings and like, okay, we need to go or eh, let's just stay put for a bit. Yeah. One, one of the times I remember specifically, um, you know, when we were in Colorado, we had kind of got in a, in a lockup with a bull that just would not budge. I think he maybe was there for what, 20, 25 minutes straight, just us bugling from the same location him bugling from the same location. And then I, you know, me and you at the same time, like we started looking at each other, like, all right, something out of the box. And that's when you started to do the old, uh, we whiz bang, um, you know, and you started to, as the caller started to run back, you know, 50, 60 yards and just breaking all kinds of brush just to change up, you know, the presentation or, or the calling that, that we were giving them. And so, you know, it's just, you feel like, all right, we've, we've thrown everything at him. We've, we've, you know, lip balled, we've cow called, we've challenged beagled, we've bark screamed, we've did everything we can for the last 20 minutes and just we're, we can't give up ground. We can't make up ground. He's not willing to give up any ground, you know, and so then we just, you know, change tactics to something maybe a little bit outside the box. Um, especially, like you said, if it's 100, 200 yards away, but, you know, the, the vegetation or the terrain doesn't allow us to get any closer, like you're pretty much pinned down. The only thing you can do is, you know, something outside the box like that. And there's, there's just those times where, like you said, it's more of a gut feel. Like, all right, we've we've played this stalemate long enough. Let's let's change it up. Yeah. Well, you know, in that particular scenario, um, <clears throat> that bull just he he wasn't going to come any further without something changing. And we have to, as elk callers and hunters, we have to remember that um, sometimes um, we get in our setup and we get real quiet in our movements. You know, we might do some raking. But, you know, if you've been doing a lot of calling, there's just doesn't seem like there's a lot going on over there in that patch of trees, right? There's not a bunch of thumping around and not a bunch of, you know, antler tips going through the trees and stuff. If you listen to, you know, elk that are, that are farting around with their cow, you know, bulls farting around with their cows, then, you know, they make, they make a lot of noise. So, um, it's, it's, it's adding that extra realism. It's like, okay, they're not coming in. Now we got to double down on some 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 noises and movement so like you said i ran back i i faded back like 100 yards 
And I can continue to call. If anything, I escalated my calling. Like a, a bull was following a, a naughty cow that wanted to get away or or maybe she was starting to like, oh man, she's an estrus. So I was, you know, staying with her. And then I'd circle around, break a lot of brush. I threw rocks, you know, made as much noise as I could. But then I come right back up to the to the shooter. But then I kind of faded back again. Just just painting that picture in that bull's mind's eye that, man, there's really something going on there. And I was hoping as I faded back again, he'd want to come up and take a sniff, you know, like I'm going to go and see if I can see something or maybe, you know, I'll be able to smell something, you know, where those elk have been. And maybe I'll, you know, maybe there is a cow that's in estrus and I'm just going to go fight that other guy. You know, so those are the kind of things we want to paint in those, those bulls mind's eye. Yep. And, and I'll add one little, one more little piece to this is a lot of times, you know, how long can we sit there? It, it, it's different for if it's in the morning when those, you know, elk are wanting to go from feed or travel to, to a, a bedding area versus if it's in the middle of the day. And if that bulls, if we're calling to maybe a bedded bull that will answer occasionally, but he's not going to move anywhere. Like our, our tactics are going to be completely different versus, you know, time of day, what those elk really want to do. And if we can add some of that, you know, thought process into our decision-making, um, you know, that's what we're doing out in the field. Every situation is different. Um, and, and we're, we're making, you know, changes on the fly, um, versus, you know, if it's a bedded bull, I might work it for an hour and a half, two hours before I move versus if it's early in the morning and something's held up, like we may be more aggressive because at some point we've seen it, you know, I say a million times, but we've seen it a lot. Um, you know, that bull will hold up for 15 or 20 minutes and then you can almost, guarantee the next time you hear him, he's going to be three or 400 yards away because he's caught back up to his cows or back up to the herd that he's a satellite for or whatnot. Um, so I think, you know, that time of day, what they should be doing, you know, plays into, into our tactics. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that, that, you know, needs to be said again is a lot of times we don't set up once on a bull, you know, we're setting up two, three, five, ten times, you know, sometimes on these elk, like we'd prefer it. And, th- and there have been setups that work where you go set up the one time and you're done. But a lot of these early morning, you know, if you're fortunate to be on a bull first thing in the morning or, you know, late at night when they're trying to move, like a lot of times you are playing, you know, a little bit of catch up and then, you know, setting up multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear it every year from elk hunters. They're like, you know, gee whiz, you know, I get into these bulls and, and I just, I, I call to them and they call back, but they just keep moving off. They just keep moving off. Man, what am I doing wrong? I, I must be scaring them away. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, those those elk have their their day mapped out already. They know, well, we played around all night and fed down here in the meadow or up on that alpine ridge. But now we're in that time of day. We need, we need to start heading toward our bedding area. And, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. Those elk just want to go and get in their bed because they've been up all night. And they want to go lay down. It's in a nice, cool place. It's very secure. And a lot of times those bulls feel a lot more confident in defending those cows once they get in that bedding area. Because it's there's I think there's a little strategy too on where a lot of times where these elk bed, you know, it's a very defensible place. And and uh, you know, if if you just give up and say, ah, oh, shoot, you know, those he don't like my calling, I guess we'll go back and make some breakfast burritos at the <laughs> at camp, then uh, that's a big mistake. You just gotta stay on them. Um, you just kind of got to dog them for a while. And, and sometimes you have to really pay attention to that wind as you're following those elk, elk to their bedding area. Cause at some point that wind's going to switch, right. 
typically they're going to be traveling with that wind in their nose. And as they're, let's say they're heading up the mountain to their bedding area, they're traveling with that wind in their nose. Um, as they approach that bedding area, a lot of times now we're getting a lot more sunlight on the hillside. And that's about the time the old thermals switch. And if you're right behind them and you get caught in that thermal switch and the wind starts blowing up to them, it's a game over deal. So, so sometimes, you know, as that, as that time um, gets close, you know, I'm always monitoring, you know, where, where's the sunlight hitting the slope. Um, and as we start approaching the time where I think the hillside's going to get warmed up and those thermals are going to start rising, then I'll break away and, and completely spin off in parallel, you know, and maybe a finger ridge away, you know, a hundred or 200, 300 yards away, just to make sure I keep that wind in my favor. Um, I don't, I don't think that can be, um, talked about enough, just obeying that wind, um, to the point that, um, if it causes, a cause you to hike in a lot of extra miles in a day, it's, uh, it's worth it. Because if you, if you follow them up with the wind, it's 99% of the time it's over. So you can't take it for granted. Yeah. And to, we keep dogpiling on this. Um, but one thing that also needs to be said is a lot of times, you know, if you're bugling or even cow calling, the, the cows in the herd, most of the time, I mean, there have been times where we've called in the entire herd or the cows, but usually you get the attention of that bull and he's willing, he knows, you know, if, if the, the rest of the herd's not, not scared or, or startled, they'll typically just feed their way along to bed, right? At a very slow pace. So he almost feels that he's got, you know, he's probably got 15, 20 minutes. A lot of times he can maintain visual on part of his herd. So you can keep his attention for a certain amount of time, but at the point where he knows that he's now got to either see you or go catch back up to his cows is typically all you can hold his attention for. So that's kind of what I'm always thinking is like, all right, we've got a limited time, you know, how fast are the cows feeding? Cause that's about when he's going to leave if he doesn't see us or there's not an altercation. Um, and so that's maybe why I feel like we're a little more aggressive. Like, all right, we've, we've got him here, but you know, you can only do what the train vegetation allows. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of things that go into how long we'll work a bowl before we're going to change tactics. And, and, um, you know, we can, we can give our best cookie cutter, uh, examples, but at the same time, there's so many other factors out in the woods that play into this, you know, how well can you move? Are there other bulls bugling? You know, if that herd bull or satellite bull, if there's other bulls around, they're going to be quicker to leave or quicker to catch back up to the herd. All of that's going to play in. Um, and a lot of times you're going to get stuck in a cat and mouse game, um, with them. So we're going to move on to the, the second question here. Um, how do you determine whether you're going to be aggressive or slow play a bull? Um, when you first go in, you know, we've heard a bugle or, you know, how do you break down the situation and decide, you know, what your first play is going to be? Uh, there's a couple different things. Um, first off, I like to call to the disposition of the bull. So if, his answer to my calls is super low key and maybe even that moany, not real interested type of bugle. Um, I'm going to know right away. It's like, well, we can't really get aggressive with this bull right off the bat. You know, I'm not going to hit him immediately close the distance and hit him with a big challenge bugle because, you know, that could possibly push him away. He might be like, Hey man, what? I'm just saying hi over here. I don't want to fight anybody. So I want to kind of slow play that bull and just keep contact. You know, he'll bugle, I'll wait a while. Then I'll bugle, wait a while, he'll answer. You know, a lot of times, you know, this is, you know, seems weird, but 
you can literally, from the time I, I take my stopwatch, so whenever I call on a bull, I'm trying to slow play. When I call, I'll hit my stopwatch button go, and then I'll I'll let it run, and then whenever he answers again, I'll hit stop, and then I'll look at the time. Like maybe he's only answering every three minutes, maybe it's every five minutes, um, which seems like an eternity when you're trying to call a bull in. So. I don't try to push that envelope too much. So it's like, okay, well, he's only answering every five minutes or every three minutes. I'm going to try to keep that cadence. So I'll wait that distance, that, that length of time before I call again. And I won't try to escalate. I'll let him escalate. And whenever you're, when we're slow playing, I let him escalate and it may take an hour. But, but why, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just close the gap? Why wouldn't I just get tight? you know, move up, locate him, figure out where he is on the mountain, make my notes on Onyx, make a, make a, make a waypoint on Onyx and just go right to him. Um, sometimes it's terrain. Maybe, maybe it's just a nasty, nasty Canyon. Maybe it's the, the time of day. Maybe it's, I'm running low on water. And if I go across there, uh, that, that Canyon, I'm going to have to drink out of the Creek and I'm going to probably get Giardia. Um, and if I don't kill that bull, <laughs> then, I may have a rough week uh, ahead of me. Um, so there's a lot of little little things that kind of come into play. So I've, I've done it whenever the terrain has been something that I don't want to navigate and I can't navigate quickly uh, or, or without, you know, um, sacrificing something. So I'll slow play it and I'll just kind of keep pecking at him, pecking at him. You know, I've, I've done this a few times and, you know, it may take an hour, maybe even two, you know, pecking at him across that canyon. But after an hour or two, I've had it to where all of a sudden their bugle changes. It just snaps. And it's like, instead of that moany bugle, it's a more aggressive full bugle. And when he does that, I know I got him, right? It's like, okay, now he's irritated. So he's escalated. Now I'm going to escalate. So then I escalate it. And usually it, it takes off pretty fast after that. It'll you know, next time you hear him, he might be down in the bottom of the creek. Next time you hear him, he's up on my side of the of the canyon or draw. And it's like, okay, boy, I better get ready here. And so I've been calling at him for an hour from this one spot. So it's time to move. I know he's coming up the hill. Now I need to move forward, change my position because he thinks I'm up here. Now I'm going to tippy toe down the hill, you know, 50 yards or so. And in a straight line towards where that bull's coming, but then I'll get off that straight line a little bit, you know, fit 10, 15 yards. That way I'm not directly in his path. That way, as he comes up and he's going to probably going to hang up around 50, 60 yards to, to kind of get up there, assess and look to see where I'm at or listen again, then I'll be in position to take that shot. So, um, that's, that's for, a that's for a solo tactic. Um, but, Let's say that bull is just answering. He sounds like, you know, that was a slow play scenario. Let's say that bull's answering really well. He sounds pretty aggressive. Um, he's answering quickly. He's bugled four times in about three minutes. Um, I know I need to go. I need, I, it's time to get aggressive. So I stop calling. It's time to close the gap, hike over there. I, I Again, I make my mark on Onyx. Okay, there's a little glade over there and a big rock outcropping, and then there's a, a thick timber patch. Sounds like he's in that timber patch. I make a, a waypoint on there, and then I start going. It's so invaluable in some of that really 
steep, nasty country, especially if there's a lot of timber. Sometimes you think, I think I'm getting close. And now you got 500 yards to go still. So then I, I push over there, get as close as I can without spooking him off, which is around 100, 150 yards away from where I think that bull is. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. And uh, I'll add to it. I always just default to being aggressive unless, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the one chance where that bull, or the one instance where the bull, you know, he doesn't really answer you. He just answers on his own and kind of in his own world, you know, will maybe slow play. But um, I always default to aggressive unless there's really good reason to, to do it another way. Um, so once again, if you have questions of your own, you want to submit here to, to me and my guests, please email us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com. Now moving into to my discussion with Dirk, you know, I've got to hunt elk with him a couple of times, um, learned a lot from him. We hunt a lot of the, the you know, similar ways, the sim, similar tactics, um, but we're going to kind of dive in a little bit to, to the way Dirk calls, kind of the scenarios, and, you know, that, that, that we like to get ourselves into and go from there. So before we get into that, uh, what specific calls do you make the most while hunting? Um, you know, this is kind of my own question to you. I've got my own little list, but kind of curious, like, you know, you may say I use them all, but I guess stop or stop, start at the call you maybe make the most and then kind of go down the list as far as like what you're going to use the most in a season. I probably bugle the most out of all the, the calls in my vocabulary, if you will. Um, and then cow calls, you know, and I don't get super fancy with cow calls. You know, I know there's a lot of information or a lot of, a lot of different takes on what kind of cow calls to make, but I don't get super fancy. I, I do calf calls, cow calls. I do bugles. Again, a lot of times I try to mimic uh, or call to that bull's disposition. So if he has kind of a wimpy sound and voice, I try to give him a wimpy sound and voice. Um, if he's got a big jacked up bugle, I try to give him big jacked up bugles. When you say bugle, are you willing, you're not necessarily saying I'm only going to send location bugles until he answers. Like you, when you say bugles, it's like what everything and anything's on the table, you know, everything from, you know, high, high pitch location bugles, the full blown challenge bugles with grunts and chuckles to, you know, lip ball bugles. You're just basically going through and, and trying everything out until you can get a response. Yeah. So if I'm just locating, then I'll start out with that like nice high pitch, quintessential, beautiful uh, three note location bugle, you know, the real long drawn out one. That's where I start um, with bugles. Before I even bugle, I'll probably give a few light cow calls and then I'll give a little bit louder cow calls. And if I don't hear anything to that, then I'll, I'll rip a big long location bugle. And then I wait, you know, two, three minutes. Um, if I haven't heard anything, cow call a couple times more. And then I'll do a full bugle where you start at the bottom, the bottom end of the, of the notes, go all the way to the top, back down. And then I'll add in a few chuckles or grunts at the end. Um, and then I wait again. Give a couple more cow calls, you know, after about four or five minutes, a couple more cow calls. And if I don't hear anything then, then it's time to pull out the big guns, right? Um, that's when I do a lip ball. That's where you buzz your lips and you, you use your, use your lips buzzing to add that real gravelly type tone, uh, to the bugle. Um, and then I, I give some very aggressive, uh, grunts at the end. 
And that way I've, I've got something that, that appeals to about any bull. There's I've over the years, I've had bulls that like to bugle at a certain kind of bugle, whether it's just a long high note with no chuckles or grunts, or if they'll only bugle at me if I chuckle or grunt, or you've done everything, but until you give them one of those big, nasty lip bulb type bugles, then they don't answer. But when they hear that, they're like, oh, something's going on. Must be a cow, cow and heat up there. I'm going to go ahead and answer. And then now we've got a game to play. Yeah. A uh, specific example, running back to shoot. I'm going to date myself a little, you know, back 2011, I think um, similar thing. Like we're the, the sign on the ground showing up. We know there are elk in the area. And I think we do a bad job maybe as educators when we talk about these location bugles all the time. But in my opinion, the location bugle is just whatever the heck, whatever bugle you need to make to get that, you know, bull to give up his location. Um, but back then I used to go through and, you know, location bugle had to be your, your pretty three, you know, three, no high, high tone bugle, you know, no, no depth to it. No gravelly, you know, growls, no grunts. And I was getting frustrated because, you know, to the, 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 these bulls weren't answering. And, and then I pulled out what I consider my challenge bugle, you know, gravelly, a lot of growl into it, you know, deep grunts and chuckles. And instantly after from the same position, probably trying for a half hour to get something to locate with multiple location bugles, um, that challenge bugle got them to pop off. So that's one thing like nowadays I don't hesitate to throw everything out there. You know, I'll do the pretty high note bugles. I've actually had a lot of success lately with you kind of mentioned your lackadaisical money bugles. Like I'll just bugle to what I consider like a mid range tone and just kind of hold it. It's a real hollow sounding bugle. And, and sometimes they're more apt to, to, um, answer, answer that bugle versus a challenge. Um, you know, some of the places we've been hunting, I seem to be hearing more bark screams and stuff. So we've been using the entire gamut to, to, to get those bulls that give up their location versus sticking with the, the, uh, you know, atypical location bugle that isn't necessarily always going to do the trick. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, of fishermen in the audience and if you go up to the stream and you throw in your maps, let's say you're lure fishing, you're not, you're not a fly fisherman or maybe you are a fly fisherman you throw on one one type of fly or one type of lure you toss it in there and you fish that hole for 30 minutes and not and not get a bite you can literally change lures or change flies and have on the next cast have a fish on and i i feel it's the same way with elk bugles you know it's you never know what kind of tones they're going to bite on you know maybe that bit that money bugle that you referred to in I know in New Mexico, you, you played that a lot and you got really good responses from it. You know, maybe that reminds that bull of some other joker that he'd messed around with before. And it's like, Hey, I don't like that guy. And then, so he answers, um, I don't know what's inside an elk's mind, but I always feel like sometimes they're a lot like us in, in, in different ways. So. Yeah. And you know, nobody send me hate mail or anything, but you relate it back to you know, turkeys and shot gobbling. And, you know, I know it's not the same thing, but it's like, I'm willing to do anything just to get that dang thing to give up its location before I drop, you know, 2000 feet into a Canyon, you know, or, or whatever it may be. We're just trying to get that thing to answer, give up its location. So then we can start to put all the pieces together and, and go set up. Um, so we, we've got a bowl located. Um, you're going to go get set up. I know we're both known you know, for ruining elk hunting and bugling way too much and all the stuff that, that we do that screws up elk and educates them. But you're ready to call your setup. 
let's say you're a hundred yards away from the elk, are you going to include a cow call initially, or are you going to bugle at them? And then how do you play it from there? Do you want a cow to be involved? Do you, um, you know, let's say you've only got one beagle, so you don't really got a good, good idea on his temperament, but you're close. Um, we, we, I always kind of go back and forth whether I want a cow to be painted into the situation or not. So I'm, I'm curious to you know, hear, um, if you're going to open up with any cow calls early on in the conversation. I've done a lot of experimentation over the years and that's every elk I, I call to. It's a, it's basically an experiment. I'm experimenting with what he wants to hear or what he's going to respond to or how he's going to respond to it. So if earlier he, the bull has answered to cow calls, you know, when we, during the location process, if he's answered the cow calls, it tells me he's definitely interested in hearing, you know, hearing from a cow or interested in cows. But if, you know, before I, I took in after him, if, you know, I wait and, you know, for my three or four good locator for him to answer three or four times before I move in uh, to get set up. Um, if he hasn't answered cow calls at all, I know that it's probably not going to be in my best interest to make cow calls when I get close. Um, a lot of times, like early season, you know, I've had um, when bulls are not herded up, they're still kind of singled out all across the hillsides there. They'll They'll have their little hidey holes. Um, most, most of the time in those scenarios, those bulls won't answer my cow call, but they will a bugle. So they know, I think they know that it's, it's way too early for a cow to be in heat. I haven't smelled that smell yet. So if I get close, I'm going to bugle at him because I want him to feel like I'm going to encroach in his little spot. I want him to feel a little bit territorial, like, hey, man, get, get out of here. This is my spot. I want to try to appeal to that. Uh, but if he's answered to cow calls, even if it's early, then I will probably open up the show with a, a couple cow calls just to test the waters. And if there's no response from a couple cow calls, then I'll progress to a bugle. Um, but keeping in mind what kind of bugles he was biting on before, like if he was, he liked these chuckly, wimpy bugle with a bunch of chuckles then that's probably what I'm going to start the show with once I get close. Um, I'm not going to try to knock your socks off with a big blaster, if you will. Yeah. Um, and and one thing that I, I think we need to point out is what we're doing or what the way that nature works if we're not involved. Uh, if you go out and just cow call, I wouldn't be surprised when trying to call an elk and if he responds maybe every time to that cow call. But we need to know whether that's necessarily a herd bull or a satellite bull. Cause you may be able to call that satellite bull into your location. But if that is a herd bull that you're trying to cow call to, he's basically just saying, Hey, I'm over here, but he's not going to leave his cows to come find some new random cow that just showed up. At least not the majority of the time. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go. But here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer 
Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Not bringing up a, a bunch of you know issues or, or uh, you know some of the some of the discussions that we you know all disagree on, but we get a lot of hey you know those that bugling's all BS you know I've always just cow called and they come running right in, but that's great in a certain situation. But was that a satellite bull? Was that a herd bull? We're all out there trying to call different things in, and so I want to I wanted to point that out that when you're using just cow calls, you've now just really you know you've just kind of changed the way that, that, that we're trying to get this to work. We're trying to call a bull into our location, but the way it works out in nature is if you do cow call, that bull will respond. Then he expects you to walk up to him, right? Not necessarily call him to your location. So I think being a, you know, a thinking elk caller is always going to be to your benefit that you're not just going to be able to set up on any, any given bull. Um, it really depends on, on, who and what that bull is and how effective, you know, just straight cow calls are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And just knowing the herd dynamics in the area you're hunting, um, there's New Mexico, for instance, last year, we saw like hardly any cows, right? There was virtually no cows on the landscape. Um, we heard more bugles than we saw cows for sure, like different bulls. So in theory, you would think, Hmm, man, cow calls are going to work like a, a magical flute here. But I didn't really have that happen for me. They, a lot of the bulls didn't care at all if I blew a cow call. They weren't that interested. It, they were all about a bugle. Um, so you just have to be ready. Don't get stuck with a predisposition idea, I guess, in your head. Like, oh, you know, people say this or people say that. Just, you know, experiment with it. Play with it. Under, try to understand your elk that you're calling to. Um, and then one other thing to think about cows, a lot of times they don't, they're like women, right? They don't want any competition. You know, you, you, <laughs> you have a group of wives out, out, uh, having cocktails somewhere and, uh, and a couple of husbands standing there and then 
if if some new hot little thing walks in immediately they're on edge right they're like hey who's that Should we get her out of here come on let's go I think it's time to leave, right? <laughs> I, I think cows are a lot like that. They don't like, they have their little click. They knew who, they know who's who. They don't want any new interlopers in there trying to steal their man. <laughs> Dirk, that's dangerous territory comparing your wife and her groups of friends to a, a group of cows, but uh, hopefully they won't, they won't listen to this one. <laughs> I know, right? My wife, I think she's within your shot here in the house. So I'm, yeah, I'm hoping gotcha. I'm not a dead man when I get off here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my next question for you, um, you know, I would always prefer to see the elk that we're going to go to try to call in. Like, I want to know, you know, even, you know, people can talk about horn size, body size, maturity, you know, dominance is mainly what I'm looking for, but I want to know how dominant that herd bull is, how many cows he has, you know, are there satellite bulls hanging around? Like anything that we can get out of visually looking at these elks to our advantage, but one situation I find myself in year after year is you're walking along, maybe above a patch of timber or in a canyon, and you locate a bull. We don't get all of those cues that we got when we were able to see him across the canyon, right? We now have no idea if a two and a half year old satellite bull answered us. We don't have an idea, you know, we don't know if it's a five and a half year old satellite bull. We don't know if it's a herd bull with a bunch of satellites around it. All we know, I mean, to, to some effect, I, I should take that back. A lot of times you can get a little bit from his bugle, but the majority of time you go in a little bit blind, right? Because, you know, we've called in some great bulls that sound wimpy and we've had some wimpy bulls, you know, horn and body wise that have sounded like monsters. So when you get that bugle, like what are your assumptions? Is there a safe play? Do you go with like a default aggressive play? Like, you know, do, what are your assumptions when you hear that bugle and then how are you going to approach? Well, my, my first thought that crosses my head as soon as I hear a bugle is like, okay, what's the wind doing? <laughs> so I yep. assess the wind. Yep. Then I, then I assess the topography. What, it, what's it going to take for me to get close to that elk? And then as I, as I'm thinking all this in my head, then I'm trying to like focus where I've heard him. And then I'm going to try to locate again. But, um, I don't, I guess it's maybe the, like the way he's answered the tone, you know, the, the way he, the tone he's answered in rather than the, how it sounds. Maybe he's a squeaker, but man, he sounds like a really mad squeaker <laughs> or, or he's a big gravelly growly thing that, that doesn't have any high pitch at all to his voice. Typically I'm going to envision a, a mature age class bull with a very, very, you know, broken up, <laughs> worn out bugle. Right. I, I I'm going to picture that, but, um, I'm just going to kind of back, you know, go default back to that call of that disposition of the bull. Cause I've, I've had some bulls that sounded wimpy when you first start calling to them to flip the switch. And then now they sound like Godzilla. Right. So, um, it's like almost like they play possum a little bit sometimes. So, um, I just kind of try to assess how they sound. I don't want to try to sound too much bigger and I try to play it by that, but I typically like it's a, it's an aggressive move though. Once I, once I've got them pinpointed, we're going to get aggressive. We're going to get close. We're not going to get, now when I say aggressive, we're not going to say um, reckless, you know, we're not going to throw caution to the wind and say, Oh, we'll get over there at all costs. You know, the wind be damned, you know, we're going to make sure we follow the wind and, and make sure that we don't make any mistakes as far as that goes. And we want to get close as we can quick as we can. Um, closing that gap 
one one thing you know it, it, they're all different some bulls you you follow them from from first light till middle of the day um, before you ever even get close to them, you know, just because of terrain features or whatever, or maybe just the way they're, the herds move. It's not, you know, those New Mexico bulls, shoot, those things that move four miles in the morning and you're just on their heels the whole time, just trying to keep up. Whereas some of the, some of the Pacific Northwest stuff where it's big, heavy timber and stuff, they're not moving quite as far, uh, but you may have to spend half the day climbing across the canyon to them or, or maybe they're on your side and you're going to, you can move up quickly. Just, Every scenario is so different, but, um, you know, I'm just going to assess what they sound like and then try to tailor my calling to how they sound. Yeah. And one thing, you know, on that situation where you've located a bull through audible, you know, you beagled or you didn't beagle, but you hear them beagle. One thing that I really like to do before we, we put our plan together is hear multiple bugles, right? I want to just, and, and I'm not good at it because I'm the most impatient hunter ever, but I found, you know, as, as time goes on, being able to hear multiple bugles from that bull is giving us some sort of indication like, is he moving in a direction? Is he sitting still? Do we need to change where we thought we were going to go versus if we, you know, make an aggressive player, we take off, you know, and we don't get to hear him beagle again. Uh, did we just miss him by 15 minutes? Did we just miss him by, you know, a quarter mile of where we needed to be when we got down there because he's now off in a distance. So a lot of times, ideally, we don't poke at him too much, but we really want to hear that additional bugle from a long ways away because maybe, you know, especially if we located and gave up our position and he bugles, he may be coming already. Or we located and he answers, he may be going away. And so, you know, without being able to see what's going on, um, I really like to know what his plan is, um, you know, and, and to get a second or a third or fourth bugle, whatever it may be, gives us at least some additional information versus, you know, one bugle is kind of unfortunate because all we really know is that we've got an elk down there, you know, of, of you know, or a, a bull down there, really. Um, we, we don't know what's going on. Um, you know, we can't make any indicator, you know, or, or guesses whether he's got cows, you know, any of that. So multiple bugles is, is always great. And then similar to you, um, the very first thing I do, and, and I think my my grandpa would be pissed that that this is the first thing I do, you know. But you pull out your you know your fancy smartphone out of your pocket as soon as you hear a bull bugle, rather than you know like figure an idea out. You're you're instantly looking at topo, like if that bull's there, like what are my you know routes to get there? Similar to you, what's the wind doing? Um, you know where would he potentially go from here? Um, so yeah, I want to hear multiple bugles. I'm going to get out, you know, some mapping software, figure out how I'm going to get there. Um, and then, you know, typically based on the wind and time of day, uh, plan our approach. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, back in the day before we had GPSs, we carried those. And and especially in areas you'd never hunted before, you'd hear a bull a few times over there and you'd get over there and you'd be like, well, I can't turn him up. He's, he, I guess he got out of the mood or just quit bugling. But um, with these smartphones now and are mapping, you can look at topography and you're like, oh, well, there's a saddle right there. He walked right over that through that saddle, I'll bet. You walk over there, bam, he's bugling his head off. You just couldn't hear him. Um, I don't, man, I wish I had a lot of those back from back in the early days. <laughs> I think, I think I really, I really messed up by, by like, well, me here, I guess we'll go somewhere else. Dang it. Yeah, and and one thing that I've drawn on from a lot of experience and and extreme frustration. So these specific examples, like 
are, are like etched into my mind is elk. For one reason or another, they're very good at sensing pressure and being quiet when needed. So I can remember, you know, multiple times where we've got a bull going pretty good, but maybe it's a half mile, a mile away. And we've got a pretty good, you know, trek to get there, you know, down across the canyon, up through some brush, whatever it may be. We go over there right to where we thought the bull was. We do our calling. We try to locate him. We try to get the wind right and nothing. And then you will come back down the mountain, get back to where you located him from. And for no other good reason, he's in the same damn spot. And you're like, well, we were just there. You know, they, they will, you know, I think they do a lot of listening multiple times we've climbed the mountain, climbed back down the mountain or vice versa and get back to that original point. And I, I just feel, you know, that you've got to let the elk win occasionally, right? We're not going to win them all. And in these certain times, they're just very, very smart and good at like, well, this bull's got too close. I really don't want to give up my position now. I'm willing to give my position up from a mile away or a, a half mile away. Uh, you know, some of those, uh, you know, are just, that's just what you're dealing with as an educated elk and they don't get old from, you know, doing everything wrong all the time. Yeah. And there's been often times where I've been calling to a bull a lot and he's been calling back. And then for whatever reason, he just clams up and you're like, huh, he just went from hundred miles an hour to like zero, just within a couple minutes. And you're like, what happened? And you know, everything is good. The wind is good. He can't see us. Why is, why did he be quiet? Um, and rather than like, well, he must've figured us out and like, packing up camp and leaving a lot of time the last few years i've been just kind of just sitting down like hey let's just sit down here and take a break let's have some snacks have some water kick our feet back catch our breath and sit down for maybe an hour and especially if the bulls are you know he's you know a couple hundred yards away you know we'd gotten pretty close to him Uh, a lot of times you, you getting quiet and doing the same thing to him um makes them uncomfortable and they start calling again. They're like, okay, where'd that bull go? Is he sneaking in on me or what? So sometimes if you just, you know, play possum a little bit and just be quiet, let's say you did move, move over there where that bull you'd been hearing him and you can't get him to go do a bunch of calling and then just shut up and sit there for an hour. He may, he may start talking. He may come walking in on you with no, with no bugling at all. I've had that happen too, where you hear a couple of twigs snap and you're like, what's that? And then here comes this bull walking in. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. And, and you know, from from your experience, you know, the same same stuff that, that we've had happen. So, if Dirk, if you could leave the listeners with with one golden nugget that may help them. Um, what would it be, you know, this year elk hunting? Um, practice, practice, practice on your elk calls, right? <clears throat> of course, you don't have to sound perfect, you know, like the perfect guy, like the, all your favorite guys on on YouTube or whatever. Uh, you don't have to sound perfect, but you have to sound like an elk, right? Um, if your calls don't sound like an elk, don't just put them away and don't use them. But if they actually sound like an elk, add some intensity, add some emotion to them, and uh, and then have the confidence to use them. You hear a bull, go ahead and rip it back at him or cow call to him or whatever. But don't don't pigeonhole yourself with just one type of calling. Don't just lean uh, 100% on cow calls. I don't think you should lean 100% on bugles. I think it's like a, a very, um, use a balanced approach, a little bit of both. Whatever the bull likes, give him more of those and you'll have success. 
great tip. Um, really appreciate it. So we're going to roll this into a part two. And in part two, we are going to cover setting up on elk. So there's a lot we talk about calling on here all the time. We're going to talk about the specific setup, you know, whether you're going to call a bull downhill or uphill, what's your preference. We're going to talk about strategies such as calling in, you know, a, a young satellite bull versus a mature satellite bull versus a herd bull and, and how some of our tactics are going to change. And then, um, you know, even adapting during a hunt, we, we got a very prescriptive calling method, but you know, similar to last year in New Mexico, we started to get our butt kicked and we had to adapt a little bit. And, uh, you know, it was one of the more frustrating hunts. So uh, join in for part two, and we're going to touch on these next subjects uh, in that podcast. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.